One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, welcome to the Kindness Podcast. You're really in for a treat with this one. And yes, I say this every time, but you really are. In this episode, I invited my good friend Steve Mulhare to the show. Steve spent many years working within the music industry. However, now runs a clay shop in Harrogate called Owl. In the episode, we talk about travel, the people you meet on the way. We talk about cancer. We talk about being humble. I think you're going to get a lot out of this one. My name's Tim Bosworth, and this is The Kindness Podcast. Hi, welcome to The Kindness Podcast. Now, my next guest I've known for a few years, and um, do you know what? There are certain things that you remember when you, uh, you meet someone, and uh, the term Japanese denim <laughs> was one of them uh, for my next guest. Um, when you listen to this, uh, I think you'll be fully informed in terms of what is involved in um, styling the modern man and woman. Uh, my next guest is Leeds Bourne. He's been in music management and publishing. In my own opinion, I would say, he has certainly dressed uh, hundreds, if not thousands of people in his time. Steve Mulher, welcome to the Kindness Podcast. Good evening. How are you doing, Tim? I'm all right, actually, Steve. Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks for coming on, buddy. I know uh, I've pestered you uh, to come on for a while, but uh, I think um, this is going to be a good one uh, uh, for, for many reasons that we can get into. But um, as these go on, what I've realised and wanted to find out in the podcast, and, and, and thank you, because you've been a real advocate of me and, and the restaurant that I've had. Um, in terms of the kindest, um, you know, you, you certainly championed the idea of it. And the idea, in essence, is about finding patterns in kindness to with the business or culture. Um, but as I sort of progress and, and develop, one thing that is of interest to me is what makes the person. Um, and, and certainly in terms of the guests, it's wanting to know what does kindness mean for them? You know, have they had experiences with kindness? But before that, I think what would be interesting, certainly for our listeners, just get a backstory about who the people are. Um, I was thinking about the idea of, when we die, we have a death certificate. When we're born, we have a birth certificate. But no one really talks about that kind of that, that life journey. Um, so what I'd like to uh, ask you, first of all, is tell me a little bit more about Steve O'Hare. Where's he from? What's the backstory, if you may? Yeah, born in Leeds, um, educated, not to a great standard. And uh, 
my dad said to me, you're going to be working all your life, lad, so do something you're going to enjoy. So I went and worked in a record shop, <laughs> much to his dismay, <laughs> um, as my other brothers went to university. Okay. Um, and that was sort of my grounding into music, really. We grew up in a pretty musical house. Um, so I started a Saturday job in a record shop in Leeds many, 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 many years ago. Do you remember the name? Yeah, it was called Seen and Heard. Okay. In Kergate. And um, met some great people along the way. One I'm still friends with to this day. And um, that was the start of my journey, really. So what sort of decade are we talking then? Uh, that would have been the 70s. So 70s, a real sort of cusp and wave of music change and the social change going on. Yeah, punk came. It was amazing. And um, turned everything upside down from sort of corporate rock to actual anarchy, which was fantastic. Were you into any particular sort of, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not so much genre per se, but were you a rocker yourself? Were you very much about sort of mods and rockers? Did you have a sort of a, a preference? Not really. I just kind of liked modern culture. You know, it was a really interesting time. And um, I worked with this guy who was quite inspirational, a guy called Dave Foster. Right. And uh, he turned me on to lots of things in, in life, actually. Yeah. Um, as, as a young guy, you know, political awareness, interest in music from America, uh-huh. jazz that I never really knew anything about till I met Dave. And that was the start, so... Yeah, he was a pr- big influence on me. And was it the music? He worked in the shop as well, did he? Yeah, he worked. The, the company that I worked for had about six or seven shops throughout Yorkshire at the time, and right. he, he worked in one of the branches. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, Dave Foster. And did he did he play music as well? He did actually, and he's still going to this day. He's fantastic blues band he's got. Right. Know? But he's a good age, is Dave, and. Um, he, he he had a, a great record label called Un-American Activities that put out some really interesting stuff, probably the late 90s. Right. And, um, yeah, some really interesting stuff. And do you play? Mm, badly. <laughs> badly. A little bit of bass, but who can't play a little bit of bass? Do you know, that reminds me, years ago, I bought um, an acoustic guitar for about 100 quid from a shop in Leeds, and I was a skint student. I had to sell it back yeah. to the same shop I bought it from. <laughs> I was gutted. I was gutted. I still ended up buying another guitar years later that sits very nicely in my hallway. Um, looks good. It does look good. But yeah, yeah. I, I do need to play it. So, so take me back to the record shop. And who were the kind of people coming in? There were sort of mainly, obviously, Leeds people, but they were really diverse. So there was like the older jazz heads some really old sort of guys who were into all the sort of early Blue Note records. Then there was all the young punks, which was pretty, pretty exciting. We, we had a great um, uh, underground sort of sound going on with a lot of the reggae boys who had just sort of come out of Chapel Town. Okay. And we started doing all the pre-releases, all the dub plates. That was pretty interesting. So it's pretty diverse. It was... It was really eye-opening. So, so what age are you at this point? I was probably about, I think, probably about 19. So, why wow, you were really being, you know, this is an impression that's staying with you. 
in terms of the music scene it's kind of really forming an impression about you and music industry and culture yeah definitely and I used to play football and used to meet a lot of kids who were similar like-minded like me and um I used to go to the blues in Chapel Town with these guys and so that's when I really got into reggae and dub and all these kind of things it was it was pretty exciting times and was it um diverse them or you know were you considered the only white person in the room or was it quite sort of multicultural there was me and another lad that yeah. we used to always go down one of my best mates called jimmy yeah and we used to go down to the cliffs and places like that right yeah but, you know just took as you find out yeah 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 definitely. and it was the music that drew me yeah and uh just a different scene a completely different scene it was amazing so what were your pals I'm just trying to get a sort of a sense of who Steve is. So were your pals doing similar to you or were you kind of the, the anomaly? No, I, most of my pals went on to do sort of apprentices, uh-huh. en- engineering or, yeah. or joiners or things like that. Okay. It never really appealed to me. Right. Um, and I was just really banging into music. And where did this come from then? So your folks were into music? My dad and my mum, yeah, right. my dad particularly was into it. Yeah. We used to just play it all the time in the house. Okay. The usual, usual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it was on all the time. And what do you remember listening to? Oh, back in then. Uh, my dad used to play, obviously, Sinatra. Yeah. Billy Eckstein, uh, Pearl Bailey, all these great sort of singers of the early 40s. Uh-huh. Yes. So, and then my elder brother, he was in a sort of... Curtis Mayfield, The Impressions, all them kind of things. Okay. And then Motown, obviously. So it's quite an eclectic. So at an early age, you're getting a real immersion into such a diverse musical genres that most people in their teens, late teens, early 20s, probably never heard of. Yeah. And I honestly do believe I still listen to anything. You know, good music is good music. It's not in a genre. Yeah, It's true. just good music It's good music. And what are your thoughts on sort of the music industry now then? Do you think it's just like pop and nonsense and just like same old sort of rubbish? If I've been really honest, I still think there's some really interesting things out there. I think if you're a young guy, there's some really interesting things going on. And yeah. I think it's probably never been as easy to make music as it is now. Correct. Whether it's as lucrative as it could have been, mm. I don't think it is. But... Um, there's certainly more channels to get your music out there. Mm, yeah, definitely. So back in the day, I imagine you, you've, I'm assuming this is that you, you're good at music, you know someone within the industry, you're signed and suddenly pff, you're off. Now you can just basically self-publish and just you're off on YouTube or whatever. Yeah, that's exactly right. it. I mean, right. the idea was you wanted to get a record deal and you wanted to get a publishing deal. Right. And, you know, back in the day they used to, sign artists and they used to develop them properly right okay first album second album and then try break them on the third album what do you mean well the first album was probably just a development album the second one they'd sort of write all their own stuff and grow into it and hopefully the third album you reach a bigger bigger audience and right. that was that was great a and r in and that's how great bands performed right. still had great catalogs now if you don't make it on social media channels, you've no chance of even getting a record deal. Right, got it. It's okay. sad. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. just how it is. So how did you get into music and music production then? Well, after um, I left the music industry, I went to the States for a while, 
did my own thing out there, came back from there, got a job working for a record company in London. Okay. And um, things sort of moved on from there. And then I decided I'd open my own record shop, which I did, called Crash Records. Hang about. So how old are you at this point? You've gone to New York. How old are you at this point? I was probably early 20s. Wow. And this isn't... So we're now what, jumping to the 80s? 80s, yeah. Wow. So, hey, I'm an old geezer, Tim. Well, I'm not so much, but you're old, but it's definitely just like, at that age, to go, right, you know what, sod it. I'm off. Wow, yeah, fair play. It yeah. Was, yeah, it was, again, you know, kind of med my opinion on certain things. Right. So did that, came back, set up the record shop and had that for, I don't know, about 13 years and then I sold it. But if you don't mind me, sorry to interrupt you, if you don't mind me just um, jumping back a bit and for those people who have never done anything like that before, how would you go about setting up a record shop, getting all the records in, what's involved? Back in the day. Yeah. God, it's a long time ago. Uh, savings, just like you taking a lease on. I took a lease off Tetley's pub opposite Leeds University. That's where we started, next door at the Eldon pub. Okay. 50 quid, a, 50 quid a month, I think it was. Good grief. Or 50 quid a week, whatever it was. <laughs> we made a few quid in them days. Wow. Um, and then I moved into Leeds City Centre. We did that. And um, just from there, the kids that came in the shop and the music, it was quite inspiring because we were doing... Um, sort of thrash metal through Skate Magazine Thrasher. We started bringing all the hip-hop records in from New York when all that started going off. Loads of interesting things, and then we set up a little studio, put a few records out ourselves, and, um, yeah, we had a wholesale business. Young and foolish, you know. Yeah. Didn't, didn't care. Fair play. And then a couple of the kids who used to come in the shop... Um, a kid called Lee Kenny, who was a great graffiti artist and used to buy loads of hip-hop records off me. And he says, I've made some music, do you want to hear it? So I says, yeah, why not? So he gave me this tape and it actually blew my mind. They were called Bedlam and Gogo at the time. Right. And then I knew somebody in London from a record label and I sent it down to him and they went, it was at Sony actually, and they went absolutely mad for it. And it just went crazy throughout the whole A&R industry. So I said to this LSK Lee at the time, I says, have you got some more stuff? He says, oh, yeah, I've got loads. And he didn't have anything. Right. <laughs> Go back and do a load of tunes. Right. Anyway, that's how I got into managing bands. So, I so then this guy was just a customer and then... Did yeah, I've known him since he was a kid. Right, OK. Yeah. And uh, very, very talented. I think you might have seen his son coming here a few weeks ago, Oscar. Is a local guy, is he? He's from, well, he was born in uh, uh, Swanley in Kent. Right. But moved up here when he was, I think, was about 10. Oh, right, okay. Pretty, so, so then what happened then? Um, it just went off and we signed a massive deal with Sony. Right. And we signed a massive publishing deal with EMI Publishing. Uh-huh. Both. We signed some off Winwood. Was, was this your first artist in the production? Yeah. Management? So, you know, lucky. So you're, so you're thinking about, oh, big yeah. time. This is all right, this. <laughs> and uh, so we did that. And that was the start of, like, sort of working with bands and one thing led to another. So we set up a management company and... 
bands sort of just gravitated to us. So my understanding of the music industry is that it can be a bit shitty. It can be a bit hard. You know, it can be a bit um, backstabby. It's who you know. And obviously it's the kindest podcast, but I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, that it can be quite ruthless. Very, right. very. Yeah, I mean, they're, for every 10 bands that sign, there's only one band make it. Mm. So if it was any other industry, the, the success rate's pretty poor. So why is it, well, I've got an idea, but why is it that you, know, you see these programmes like X Factor and all these music programmes, everyone's chasing some, chasing that celebrity, well, maybe it's celebrity, but they're chasing this um, vision of what they think it is in terms of music. And probably, like you said, there's only a small percentage of people who are actually going to make it. Yeah, and it is really... T- when you think... I mean, just in our short time, how many bands I saw signed to the... We were signed to a small label within Sony. Right. How many bands were signed and didn't make it? Right. I mean, we made three albums with them, which was pretty good going right, yeah. back in the day. Uh, and then I also signed his sister. Lee's sister used to do BVs for him. Right. Signed her to Sony. So we had a pretty good time at Sony. Right, okay. Yeah. And so in your opinion on programs like x factor fan not a fan not a fan <laughs> why did i uh, why did i know the answer to that it's just uninspiring isn't it singing somebody else's songs and trying to sound like them but these kids like i say these kids are mad for it they're really I, th- I think they're chasing celebrity i personally i think you're right but then some of them and to your point you mentioned earlier on the way in which you can get your visibility out there now through social media Perhaps they even need a production company. You just need like a, a mic, a phone, and you're on TikTok or whatever it is, and, you, and you're out there. You know, but um, yeah. I think but look how many of the people you're competing against. Well. Millions. Every, every young kid's doing it. You've got to be exceptional. So what does it take then to be exceptional? Is it that I voice? Got, or? I think you've got to be really, really talented, obviously, but you need a hell of a lot of luck. It's mm. luck. A lot of it's luck, honestly. Mm. Um, and the wind blowing in the right direction and people will believe in you I think Interesting So do you think that um, you know obviously you've worked in the, in the music industry a while you've seen people come and go you mentioned obviously it's, it's a very ruthless industry um, and certainly probably one that's probably not kind um, you've managed bands like you said what's your opinion on you know, obviously you touched on X Factor but your opinion on the industry as a whole is any sort of, are there any artists or music you're interested in at the moment or listening to at the moment what am I listening to at the moment um, I love a band called War on Drugs called War on Drugs okay for, for our listeners out there who are they what's American sort of guitar band mm-hmm. just great songs really well delivered considered um, I've been listening to that well I was Got all their albums. What else have I been listening to? Um, the Pharaoh Sanders Floating Points record, which never is, heard of them, which is amazing. Are they ones to listen to? Are they? Well, you'd love to? that, Tim. You'd really? love that. Yeah, you'd okay. love that. Um, so they're probably two of the most recent albums I've been giving a lot of attention to. So obviously, you're clearly into your music. Um, so how did you get into fashion? By accident. Um, Somebody I knew, a long story, I won't even go into it, but uh, somebody I'd known for a long time wanted me to get involved in an, as an investment, really. It didn't really work out. We kind of went our separate ways and I ended up running the shop. Mm. So basically, 
that's how it all came about, really. Had you been in fashion before or even touched on fashion before? Yeah, we had a skateboard shop and we had a clothes shop in Leeds when we had the record shops. Okay. So we had a clothes shop called Buffalo Clothing and we had a skateboard shop called Kickflip. So, very much, um, you are, it seems to me that you were very much an advocate of kind of subculture. Yeah, well, that was it. That started with the music, listening to great albums. Yeah. And it was, it was just brilliant. Mind, you know, coming from a small little council estate and then you, you, you know, if you, it's just absorbing things, isn't it? And embracing it, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, definitely. You say it's just coming from a small council estate. But I think from those let's say humble beginnings, it doesn't matter where you come from. If you have the ability to dream or aspire through culture, it makes you go, right, wow. Yeah. Your music can transport you. Books, film. Yeah, yeah. Interesting people. I remember back in the day, um, we're talking about the 90s now, listening and going to clubs like that, the Hacienda, which is no longer there. I think Love to Be, Sheffield, Cream. These are all kind of dance clubs, really. Back to basics. Oh, yeah, back to basics. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. Were you in that scene then? Yeah, well, Ali, who started it, Ali Cook yeah. and Dave Beer, Ali used to work for me in my... Ah, oh, right. Uh, ...in the record shop. And for those listeners who've, who've never heard of it, just tell us briefly um, what Back to Basics is, or I should say what was, rather. Yeah, it was. A, it started with a guy called Dave Beer and Ali Cook and just had a great idea when dance music was starting to happen and they got into lots of drugs and lots of different kind of things and set up a great club at the bottom end of town and it grew to be world renowned I remember and it. uh took its lead from actually the sex pistols did it really yeah all their artwork was right. based upon the sex pistols right yeah i loved that club it was a great club it's just that one of their 25 own... years at what it 25 or 35 years i think they had the celebration of it the other week last saturday or the saturday before yeah. down at the warehouse i just i don't know what it is about music but it just it just transports me you know, if I'm not feeling great, put on music. Feeling great, put on music. With the kids, put on music. It just absolutely transforms you. And clubs, I think, when you say back in the day, whether it's the 70s, 80s, 90s, it just takes you to a place. Yeah. Uh, and, and Back to Basics was really one of those clubs. You obviously mentioned the warehouse as well. Um, these were just iconic clubs. I don't think they've, they've, it was a, it was a, I think it was more of a northern thing hmm. than it was a southern thing. Right, okay. In, yeah, the, all the really strong clubs, I think, you know, like the Hacienda, Back to Basics, uh, what was the other, Speed Queen, then mm. there was, like, the one down in Nottingham. Oh, um... Renaissance and all them, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. just... But London's so big and so diverse, I think it's really hard. There's so many genres in London. Yeah, 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 yeah. But club scene was definitely a northern thing. And I think there's a, there's a guy, um, Reggie Yates, that's him. Um, he's a, he's a producer and writer, etc. He's just got a fil- brought a film out recently. The name escapes me. Um, it, it's all about house music. You know, sort of the dress, the style, the feel. And, and I imagine the soundtrack's fantastic, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely of that. Um, I think London, you're right. London had a certain scene and feel to it, going to lub- uh, clubs in London versus the Northern clubs, yeah. kind of gritty Northern clubs. Yeah you know, dirty basements and just uh, big warehouses. And then I remember going to a club, I took my, um, <laughs> I laugh at this, I took my brother and his wife uh, to a club in London and I'd been living there for a few years and it was a really low ceiling, loud club. <laughs> their face, they're kind of like, 
Ooh. What's we going all, on? Uh, are we safe here? And it was just like the best ever. Hard, loud. Oh, just, you know, literally speakers vibrating. So that's it. And then Garage came out and, oh, there's so many different genres yeah. of dance music. And it just, you know, it developed, didn't it? It evolved. I loved it. It's I, I, still, I still do. Yeah. So much so that you've got things like um, Pete Tong doing his Ibiza classics. It's all like orchestral. Sure, yeah. You know, it, it's like um, it, it moves from like the subculture into the norm. Mainstream. Into the mainstream, yeah. Into the mainstream. So you're like, oh, you're grand- oh, I'm off to the Ibiza classics at yeah, Harwood right. House. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Exactly, it's like, yeah. hang about. Yeah. I was there first time round. Um, now, Steve, um, just a quick segue. Um, obviously, I asked you about the podcast and you were very... Um, responsive and receptive to it and, and what it was all about. Um, we, we tried to get you on last week. Um, you weren't feeling the best, but you touched on um, a fact that a very good friend of yours had been poorly for a while. And then you'd spoken about um, kindness to her. Um, I thought it'd be interesting um, just sort of to touch on that and then sort of segue into what I suppose what kindness is and how you view kindness um, in, in general terms and, and perhaps more specifically with the friend that you uh, you recently met as well. So, I suppose the first so, question I asked one, yes, what does kindness mean to you, Steve? Well, it was a really old friend of mine that I've known for most of my life and uh, we've kept in touch over the years and um, she got breast cancer and pretty seriously um, and really went through a tough time. In that time, she lost both parents and I went to see her of about two weeks ago and just sat there with her and how remarkable she was and um, how she was accepting of it. But she told me a little story when she was in the hospital that there was a, she was going down for her first chemo, her second chemo, but there was a woman next to her who had no family. And um, she sat with her, both of them terrified, but... Maria just sort of said, um, don't worry, I had it last week, you know, we'll do it together. And it just showed, even though she was down, that kindness just helped this woman through this. She was absolutely petrified, mm. but just being a decent person. And I think when kindness is even when you're down, that you can show other people kindness, mm. when you probably don't feel great. I think that's a real strength and a real strength for kindness. And she just showed it in bundles and just the way she dealt with it. And I just thought it was pretty amazing. Did she ever say to you how she was feeling? Yeah, she was, uh, many a time she said she felt so low, but she she just believed and believed in other people. She's a pretty stoic woman, really. Mm. And... Um, you know, I was talking to her about kindness. I, I said to her, it's just such a kind thing to do that. And she was just saying, it's just being a decent person. I think right. kindness is just being decent. Right. In my opinion. And do you think that, and this is the question I'll, I'll ask guests and I've asked them, do you think that you're born kind or is it a learnt thing? I think it's what you you talk from your parents and people around you and who you surround yourself with, you know, they say, you know, peer pressure, all these things, and you only sort of reach the level of people who are around you. Mm. And I think we all know decent people and bad people. I just think my parents just told me to take people as you find them, 
be respectful and, you know, be considerate. That's all. Consider other people. Don't be selfish. So how do you find, uh, I, I dread to think, that in your state of illness that you can just show that, that level of kindness, it shows a lot of character from her point of view. Amazing. I don't know. Wow. Some of the things she told me, she, I probably shouldn't really say so, I won't. But she, some of the stuff she went through, you know, illness upon illness. Mm. And when she was diagnosed, she'd left, a, a mother had died, I think, three or four days before. And you just think, all this bad news, you would be quite resentful. But she wasn't resentful, she was quite... Oh, resentful to who? Well, just to the world. Right. And resentful about life in general. Mm -hmm. But she sort of took a grasp of it and says, no, I'm going to beat this and uh, and get on with it and make the most of it. Okay. I, I think that's amazing. And that's kindness, I think. Mm. Believing in other people. I would also say it's, it's kind of fortitude as well. It's like saying, you know what, fuck this. I'm going to just get through this. And it's a sort of self-belief. And, and look, you know, illness is illness. Is illness. And unfortunately, some illnesses are life-threatening. But to have that kind of self-resolve, to go, you know what, this is not getting me. Yeah. This is not getting me. Um, and the other day I was um, in town and I saw a lady I hadn't seen in a while. And it's probably about six months to a year ago. And six months ago, she said, oh, you know, my partner's been poorly. Um, he's been diagnosed with cancer. I said, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. And we just chatted about life in general. I've seen her the other day in town with the husband in a wheelchair, no hair. And I'm like, shit. In a heartbeat, life change. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And in that moment, I didn't see her to speak to her directly, but in that moment, I've got my phone out and I've just dropped four of my good pals, just a quick message. Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Let's meet up soon. And um, there's a guy, and again, his name escapes me. And he spoke about death reminders. You know, kind of that trigger moment to think, you know what? Which is... You know, second question, uh, which is, if you did die tomorrow, what would you do differently to be the kindest in the room? But then when I saw this guy, I thought, God, six months ago, you were, you were all right. And now you're in a wheelchair. And I'm just like, okay, right, live life to the max. Live life to the max and also just be respectful. Yeah. You know, of life and people around you. I think, you know, you feel better in yourself if you're just nice to people. It's... My mum would say to me, it's easier to be nice than it is to be awful. Mm. But do you know there's not more many good people... Sorry, go more, sorry, there's more good people in this world than bad people. You know, and I, I think that's really, really important, Tim, that people actually... Most people are good. They're just sometimes... Do you think so, generally? Generally, yeah. I think, that, I think it, most people are pretty good. Okay. You know, um... That's what I find. And I think if you just treat people with a little bit of respect and they treat you the, the same way back, mm. then you, you both get some out of it, don't you? I agree. Um, uh, as I'm listening to the answer, I, I know that having worked in service, particularly when you're serving customers or people within a retail space or hospitality space, people are coming through your doors, you're wanting them to spend money on your service or your product. And I tell you what, it is an absolute direct relationship to manners and how you treat people in terms of how they treat you when you're selling them a service or a product, clothing, for example, for yourself. And you can see someone walk through your shop or bar or restaurant and you make a snap judgment on perhaps how they look. 
but and perhaps you can tell some stories about some of the people you've had through your your, um, your shop. But it's interesting that people you would snap, make a snap judgment on coming through the doors would be the most polite, friendly, accommodating people. Yet others would be rude, <laughs> quite frankly, uh, and uh, you know, and have bad manners. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, totally. I think you know people do prejudge. Mm. I think we're all guilty of that. Mm. Um, and maybe that's something I need to probably do less of. I don't do it as much as I probably did back in my youth. But I just try to find, speaking to people, the, most people are just normal and they just want a decent conversation, be treated decent, and in response to that, usually successful. So people coming through your doors on a daily basis... You're obviously making judgments on the way they look, rightly or wrongly. But your job, I would, I would say, or your skill, actually, to be fair, is allowing them through clothing to make them feel better, you know, make them change their mood, change the way they feel about themselves. You've certainly done that for me, you know, coming into your, your shop. Yeah, I mean, for me, when, when we moved into the new site, I wanted it to be more of an experience where we sell better quality goods so I know where it's come from. I know that it's been sourced from a good space, that people got paid a decent wage. And try to explain that to people. And when you put something nice on, generally, I think you feel good. You good. feel better about yourself. Uh, you feel more confident. And I just try to make people feel comfortable in that way. And usually people respond pretty well mm. and they go oh well i can't wear this or i can't wear that or i say try it and once you try it then you can say it doesn't suit you or you don't like it and i would say when most people try it on i'd say the success rate is probably 60 40 which is pretty good success mm. rate, i think yeah yeah and it's just again it's just a confidence thing and 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 if somebody does look a bugger in it I'll tell them. Right. I'm going to say you do look a bit of a prat. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. doesn't suit you. Yeah, totally. And I think they like that honesty. Because it's not about killing for the sale, is it? It's mm. about actually, when they walk out of your place here in Hoxton, you want them to know that they've had a good coffee or a good breakfast. They feel good. Yeah, They'll agreed. come back. Yeah, agreed. You know, same at my place. If they don't buy it, I'm not really that bothered. As long as they've gone away and felt, well, I've got a decent service there. They were nice people. Maybe next time. That's how it works, I think. And mm. that's, I think if you can just do that in general in life, it'd be a better place to live, wouldn't it? Agreed. Yeah, definitely parallels, parallels in life. Yeah. And, and you, you touched on the fact that someone might come in and they might say, oh, I'm not too sure about that. Well, in life, you've got to give it a go. If you, yeah. don't, if you don't try it, you'll yeah. never know if that thing or that journey or that venture is actually going to work unless you try it. Exactly. You know, um, and uh, I think, you know, for the people of Harrogate coming into your into your shop there's certainly a sense that you're very much well respected your opinion's very much well respected certainly when you know i've been wearing any of the um the brands that you you know you stock people ask me where i've got them from and i state yourself and you're very sort of highly respected i want to just jump back to kind of steve and the, kind of the music and, and and who he is he talks about working in a sort of a record shop then running a record shop he's going to the states as well at an early age you know, what's, what's, what's the US like? Are that So we're in the 90s now, just jumping back to the 90s. No, that was in the 80s. 80s, okay. So 80s New York. Yeah, well, I did, I did the whole lot, actually. But basically, 
I was influenced by American music and California particularly. And I wanted to, you know, live the dream, as it were. And so I saved up some money, went over, and I met some lads who I knew in Canada, flew to Canada, hung out with them for a while, and then I hitched all the way down to California into Mexico. And um, This is a movie, Steve, isn't it? <laughs> so, hey, some of the trips were. Um, but, uh, yeah, and just did all that, and it was just, it was kind of eye-opening, really. And then when I came back to England, I just felt pretty confident about myself that I'd done all this for six months around the States. And I felt I could jump over a fence ten foot tall. Right. And that sort of set me on my journey to, you know, come away from sort of being not confident about yourself enough, but then just to sort of say, right, well, I'm going to give it a go. If I want to try being business by myself, I'll do it. And Mm -hmm. since then, I've worked for myself. So what advice would you give you know, someone in their late teens, 20s, you know, who's perhaps questioning whether they should do that thing, you know, what advice would you give them? I'd say, uh, give it a go. We just says, like you said, Tim, if you don't try, you'll never know. Uh And I just think, I've encouraged, I hope I encourage people to just, even whatever it is, try it. If it's food, try it. You don't know what it tastes like. You Mm. don't, you know, don't, don't, eat it with your eyes, mm. taste it, go mm. see it. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I would say to anybody, travelling's a great eye-opener. Meeting people, dealing with situations, seeing how people live differently. But really, we're not that different. We're really not that different. And, you know, being kind along the way when you're travelling helps. I bet it does, yeah. It really does. Yeah. And good manners, like you said, comes yeah. back to all those kind of things that are just simple, what you want to teach your kids. Yeah. Just be a decent person. So where's been your favourite uh, travel destination then? Um, I loved California when I went right. for the first time because it blew my mind. Yeah. But that was like a really big trip. I'd been to Europe and probably one of the most interesting places. I, I loved Japan. I went to Japan quite a lot. Did you? So we spent quite a lot of time out there. That's an amazing country. People, that's all built upon respect. A bit, sometimes a little bit sexist, but a great country. Okay. A really great country. And um, I really had a good time there, yeah. So it seems travel's really something, I'm getting a sense that travel's really something that underpins some of your, your passions and your interests. I think they're all sort of aligned, if you like food, if you like culture, if you like different people, right? different things. It's all out there, isn't it? Yeah, no, without a doubt. Without and you've just got to get out there and get amongst it. And, you know, I think a lot of people, there's a fear of failure. There's a fear of, well, if I do that thing, then I won't do that thing. And then if I feel, do that thing, I won't do, you know, there's a, there's a lot it's of... It's very English, that though, isn't it? Do you reckon? Yeah, because I think, like in America, most of these successful people have failed two or three times. And I think you learn by failing. Mm-hmm. I, don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing to fail if you've had a go. If my kids, one of my kids failed, I'd say, well, at least you had a go. Right. You know, I wouldn't let it hold you back. Everything you do can't be right, can it? Mm-hmm. I've made loads of mistakes, I'm sure we all have. Yeah. But you just get back on the bike and go again, don't you? Well, you say you don't you, but I mean, a lot of people don't. Um and I wonder if that's a cultural thing. You obviously touched on being an English thing. Or if it's, is it just in the UK, it's like, oh, you failed. You know, it's like a school kid pointing, no, 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 you failed. Whereas actually in other cultures, 
it's like, wow, well done, man, you failed. You know, high five to the failure. Go again. Yeah, I think that's absolutely on point, that. Yeah, definitely. I don't think it is an English thing, and I think that's a bit sad. Mm, I've yeah. had a few things that have crashed and burned, many, <laughs> plenty. But what can you do? Well, you, can't, you can't dwell on it, I don't think. No, no, you're absolutely right. I think that's a viewpoint of people who have a, a full respect and perspective on the world. You know, you've touched on travel, you've talked on food, you talked about music, and all of those come from points of difference. But if you can understand someone's difference from their point of view, it gives you a fuller and better appreciation of who they are as a human, which in turn leads back to kindness, which is pretty much what you're saying, that you know, if you understand someone from a different cultural background than yourself and you can appreciate that, well, it's showing empathy, which in turn is... Kindness. Kindness, yeah, absolutely. Um, Steve, it's at this point in the show where, um, and I did allude to it earlier on, about the fact that we ask our guests you know, the question that can be considered, can be considered to be uh, uh, morbid, but really, as I, as I touched on before, that the idea was that when you die, you have a death certificate. When you're born, you have a birth certificate. But what is that kind of that, that life journey? Um, I want to just get an understanding of Steve the man and, and the kind of legacy um, that you would leave behind in so much that, you know, if you were to die tomorrow, you know, what would you do differently today to be the kindest in the room? Mm, there's a question. Um, if I died tomorrow, I'd probably have another coffee in here. Um, I think the most important thing for me was ho- I would hope that I've left my kids and some people that are pretty close to a good impression of how life should be lived. You know, be decent, be honest, be human, be sentimental, be all these things that are really... And then I think you could go, you, whether it be up in the sky or down below, happy. Love that. Love that, Steve. Yeah, a lot of people... Um, I think can take life too seriously. And um, if it's only with those kind of death reminders, like me seeing that, that, that lady and a, and, a, and a husband in a bad way, you seeing your, your friend, you know, had, um, had an illness and um, just taking stock and going, hang about, if I was to die tomorrow, what would I do differently? It just almost gives you a moment to go, right, just stop and think. Because, yeah. like, you know, I, I know myself, what this, is, this journey and this process is teaching me is, slow down to him and and enjoy that like, enjoy what you've yeah. got around you that's really important yeah yeah it it's, really I find, is. It, I find it difficult though steve i don't know why i just find it difficult to um what happens when you get older you slow down automatically <laughs> <laughs> but do you, do you mean just like physical physicality wise or you just start taking stock of um uh i think who you are and what you've done the, 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 i like working my missus says, why don't you pack in working? And I've, I think it's just good to be doing something all the time. And But as I get older, I do it at my pace, where before, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this. You know, if it happens, it happens. And if it don't, it don't. So do you like, you say you like working, do you like the social element of it? Having... Um, one of our guests talked about rituals. Uh, Laura Williams, who was on the show, talks about having rituals. You know, people go to work. It's like a pattern. You, you meet people and that becomes an anchor. You, you get used to seeing those people or doing that thing. 
Is that something you like? You like the pattern of meeting people and socialising? People make your life interesting, don't they? Mm -hmm. When I came to this town seven years ago, I didn't know a soul. Right. And now I've met loads of interesting people, lovely people. People have enhanced my last few years over here. So I just don't think you can ever, um, for me, it's, that's what makes me get out of bed on the morning. Certainly in financial. <laughs> well, and, you know, interestingly, people chase that um, in terms of the monetary gain. You know, it's maybe it's part of our celebrity culture. It's part of the quick fix, do it now, get the money now. And you touched on the idea of getting older. Do you think that age gives you an appreciation of time and what time you've got left? If I, do you know, I never think about the future and time do you what know? I've got left. No, I really don't. I probably should do, but I don't. I think, not not because I think, it, think of darkness or anything like that, I just think, hey, I'm getting up this morning, I'm going to do this, and tonight I'll go to bed and I hope to get up in the morning. I really don't think about, you know, when I show you know, off the mortal coil, shovel off the, you know, yeah, mortal yeah. coil. I, I, don't, I don't really think about that. Probably should do, but I don't do. Yeah, I'm, and again, I'm, I'm, I want to, I think for me, I want to be a better person. Um, and I, I don't think I'm a bad person. I think um, it's only when you go through stages of life, you've never been a parent, you don't know what it's like being a parent, raising children. If you've never run a business, you don't know what it's like running a business and the stresses and worries that go through running a business. Um, and I think only since, until you go through that journey can you fully appreciate what it's like to run a business, to be a parent, and, and what I'm, I've said this before in another podcast, what I struggle with is thinking, not onto the next, onto the next, but when's that end point? When's that end point? And maybe there isn't an end point. Maybe well, it's now, maybe it's now. I don't think, knowing you as I do, I think you, you, we do have similarities that you just, you do always want to try and do something else and do something. I think that's because we like a challenge keeps it interesting you know i fear like god can imagine doing a job the same job for 40 years and picking up a pension i couldn't think of anything worse mm. you know but a lot of people love that the right. security you know working at the same place right nine o'clock same holiday <laughs> same lunch hour i could you not. know i mean I but that's to a lot of people that's stability and they're they're more than happy with that and that's good in a lot of ways, and that's what floats their boat. You know, your boat needs floating with challenges. Mm. And actually, I should just say, I, I smirked then and I laughed. And I thought, you know what, actually, Tim, no, that is people's lives. And actually, we, that is the kind of that, that journey of life, you know, the CV, curriculum vitae, that is the journey of life. And so you're right, Steve, you know, people's viewpoint on the world and what they do is, is their viewpoint on the world. Um, and I think that um, you have got, depending on your, your sort of, religious belief one life or, or there are many but you've got to live it otherwise when the story is written of you it's your choice don't complain that oh i wish i'd done this exactly. i wish i'd done that steve we'll come up to the final question um that we ask people um and it's um if you were to live a um a kind of life or rather i should say the the, the full and correct question should be you know what one piece of advice would you give someone to live a more kind life what would it be? I think being humble is pretty, pr 
pretty good lesson in life, just to be tolerant of people. I think people are so intolerant of people and things that really don't matter. So I would just say to people, be a bit more patient, be a bit more tolerant, be a little bit more humble. And I think you'll get more out of life yourself. Love that. Love that. Steve, with that being said, you have been the kindest in the room. Uh, it has been a pleasure. I know um, I've tried to get you on uh, a few weeks ago, so it's a real pleasure. To have I really you on. enjoyed it. Thank you, mate. Um, where can uh, people reach out to you on, on social channels, etc.? Find a bit more about what you're doing on uh, what you're working on. Uh, best place is our Owl Store Instagram. Is, that, is, is it on? Yeah, just it's Owl just Store. Owl Store, and then or our website owlstore.co.uk. We've got some like exciting new things happening in the new year. Okay, great. Um, and we're going to try do a little retailing in a different way. Well, you touched on that before, and um, just just briefly, because I know you had an event on um, recently that I attended, um, and that was to do with the band Lavisham, a sort of brand Lavisham, and remind me, uh, Nicholas Daly. Nicholas Daly, that's right. Yeah. And um, I think having these events certainly will benefit um, the, the town of Harrogate. Yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to um, you know your next of. Uh, events that you put on. So I think um, that in essence is a, is a, a sp- exploration into kindness and bringing that sense of difference to the town. So yeah, I certainly welcome that, Steve. But like I said, uh, you have been in the kindness in the room, buddy. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate Pleasure. it. Thanks, Steve. Take nice care. one, guys. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.